they've been married for 30 years. He's a pioneer of Catholic lay evangelization, and she has a master's degree in theology. Put on the coffee and get ready to open the scriptures. It's time for Bible with the Barbers. Now, here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Welcome, welcome to Bible with the Barbers on this Friday, April 30th. Happy birthday to all the April 30th birthdays out there. <laughs> so here we are on this Friday. Thank you for listening to Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Thank you for your support. Um, if anybody wants to call in and ask a question, it's 888-526-2151. If anyone wants to make a donation, 877-526-2151. So we have, as we usually do, we would like to look at the gospel of the day. And the gospel today for Friday of the, we're in the fourth week of Easter, is from the gospel of John, verses 1 through 6. And what does is, what is the Lord say here? Jesus said to his disciples, do not let your hearts be troubled. Yes, have faith in God. Have faith also in me. In my Father's house, there are many dwelling places. If that were not, if there were not, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back again and take you to myself, so that where I am you also may be. Where I am going, you know the way. Thomas said to him, Master, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The Gospel of the Lord. Well, the context of that saying of our Lord is the Last Supper. He's speaking to his apostles at the Last Supper, and this is his, he's giving his last consolation and instruction to them. And he has, you know, told Peter that he's going to deny him, and the apostles are very upset about what Jesus, some of the things Jesus is saying at the Last Supper. One of you is about to betray me, and Peter, you'll deny me, and, and there, but he says, do not let your hearts be troubled. So, yeah, we sin, and, and we shouldn't be saying, oh, well, it's okay to sin, whatever, the Lord doesn't matter. No, no, that's not the attitude. But what happens is when we sin, the world, the flesh, and the devil get on us to say, look at yourself, look at how miserable you are. You're just a sinner. God couldn't possibly love you. Well, the truth of the matter is what? Jesus came to save sinners. God became man to save sinners from sin. Not to say sin is okay. Not to say go ahead and sin and sin boldly. No, to say give up your sins and live in union with God. And that begins with prayer. Prayer is a dialogue with him who loves us. We should be praying every single day. Do you want to live in union with God? Ask God for the grace. Do you want faith? Ask God for the gift of faith. Faith is a gift. And by the way, yes, those of you who are baptized, you receive the gift of faith in baptism. You receive the gifts of faith, hope, and charity, and you also receive the, the cardinal virtues of prudence, temperance, justice, and fortitude. But they all have to be exercised. They're like your muscles. You know, I, I, I know someone right now who has a, not only a ganglion cyst, but he tore some cartilage in his um, wrist. And he hasn't been able to use his hand now for several months and finally saw the surgeon this last week or two weeks ago. And the surgeon told him, your muscles and everything is atrophying in your, in your wrist. I can't even do surgery on it right now. It's like, what? What? 
And of course, it's been it's been months. This whole process. They've tried to get him. They they sent him to one surgeon over a month ago, and it was the wrong surgeon. And you know, it just it, it's a huge. But if you if we stop using our muscles, the point being, if we stop using our muscles, we lose them. It's the same with our faith. If we don't exercise our faith every day, we'll lose it. If we don't exercise our hope and our charity every day, we lose them. What is the exercise of faith? Prayer. What is the exercise of hope? Mortification giving up the things of this world in order to prepare to receive the things of heaven. What is the exercise of charity? Almsgiving, giving to our neighbor. Okay, and, and prudence, prudence, justice, temperance, and fortitude, the four cardinal virtues, we have to act according to those virtues. All right, and justice doesn't mean you did something wrong to me, I can beat you up. Justice means giving to everyone their due. We're talking about justice where God wants everyone to be saved. And God forgave us all. And because God forgave us all, we're willing to forgive. Now, that doesn't mean you'll have to let people beat you up. Again, you know, as Christians, are, it's not about, you know, let somebody walk all over you and never do anything about it. No, you don't have to let somebody walk all over you. You don't have to allow yourself to be physically, emotionally, psychologically, or spiritually abused. You know, if you're in those situations, you need to separate yourself from that person. Now, if you're married to that person, that has to be, you know, you can get a, a separation through the church or you can... Um, you know, have a legal separation for safety's sake, and but but you can't remarry. You're not free. You're not walking. It's not. A, it's not. That doesn't end a marriage just because someone's being abusive. That doesn't mean you aren't married. An annulment is not divorce Catholic style. An annulment is a granting, as to say that the church has looked at the situation of the moment of that marriage took place and saying there was no marriage. There were certain conditions that weren't present, so that there's no marriage there. But what I'm what I'm saying here is. If someone's being abusive to you, you don't have to ha- let them abuse you. Now, you can offer that suffering in union with Jesus to help redeem the world, but you don't even have to allow them to continue to beat you up emotionally, physically, psychologically, spiritually, okay? So, but at the same time, ask the Lord to convert their heart and to convert your heart. Because oftentimes, you know, we're getting beat up, but we're, we're kind of egging people on to be mean to us without intending to, without realizing what we're doing. So we need to examine ourselves. We need to confess our own sins. We don't, you can't go to confession and say, bless me, Father, for I have sinned. My wife always is such a, a, a wretch. She doesn't clean the house. She doesn't take care of the kids. She doesn't, and it's like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Who, whose confession are you making here? No, 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 no. It doesn't work this way, honey. What's, what's yours? You know, like the, the guy, Bishop Sheen, tells the story about the lumberjacks who've been out in the woods, you know, cutting lumber, and they haven't been in confession in a long, long time. And finally they come into town, and they go to the church, and Father's hearing confessions, and the first guy goes in, and he says, Bless me, Father, for I've sinned. I've committed every sin there is to me. And Father said, Have you murdered anybody lately? And the guy said, Oh, no, I haven't. And he says, Go back out and examine your conscience, and then come in when you're ready to confess your sins. And the guy goes out and he tells all the other lumberjacks in the, in the line, forget it, guys. He's only here in murder cases tonight. <laughs> well, that's not the idea. <laughs> Examine your conscience. Look at the Ten Commandments and, and also look at the Beatitudes and um, the laws of the church. And, and are we keeping those? Are we being faithful to the Lord? Are we doing the duties of our state in life? Okay. So, but Jesus is he's telling us here, even if you're a sinner, Remember, I can forgive sins. That's why I came. I can, I will. All you have to do is ask me. And I, in my Father's house, there are many dwellings. I've prepared a place for you. I have prepared a place for you. The question is, will we occupy it? 
Monsignor was talking this week about in, in his sermon about the, um, the controversy between some of the bishops over whether or not you can give uh, pro-abortion uh, political candidates Holy Communion. And the one bishop says, no, you can't because he's not living objectively in a, in a situation where he's in union with Christ. And communion, to receive Jesus in Holy Communion, it means you're in the state of grace, or at least you haven't commit any grave moral evil, and, and that you're, you're going to be drawn into deeper communion with him, not commit sacrilege by going in the state of moral sin. And the other bishop says, so he says, no, you can't, you can't receive Holy Communion if you're, if you're promoting abortion. And the other bishops, another bishop says, well, wait a minute, the, sac- the sacraments work ex opere operato. That means they work by virtue of the work done. So, for example, if a priest is in the state of mortal sin, he can still offer the holy sacrifice of the Mass, and it's valid. He can still hear confessions and give you absolution. Okay? But, as Bishop Sheen once told a story about a, um, a man who went to a doctor because the man was very, a priest who went to a doctor, excuse me, a priest who went to a doctor because he was ill, and the, the priest, the doctor gave him some medicine, and he said, well, is it going to work? And um, the, pri- the doctor said to the priest, it'll work ex opere operantus. He didn't say, say ex opere operato. He said ex opere operantus. And the priest looked at him and said, you're a priest. And he said, what do you mean? I'm a doctor. He said, uh-uh-uh, those words don't roll off the, the, the tongues of, tongue of a layman like that. You're a priest. And so, yeah, he was a priest. He had loved, as Bishop Sheen said, he had loved not wisely but too well. So this priest put this doctor in touch with Bishop Fulton Sheen. So he had, he had loved not wisely but too well, and he had a child, and so he left his priesthood and married the woman outside the church. And so Bishop Sheen started, but what happened was he said, ex opere operantus. Well, what does that mean? Ex opere operantus means it will work according to the disposition of the receiver. So the sacraments work according, yes, they work by virtue of the work done, but they also work by virtue of the disposition of the receiver. So the grace of the sacrament can be lost on us, and more than lost on us, as as, uh, Paul Clay and Terry and Dr. Mazza were talking about at the end of the, the Terry and Jesse show, you can actually condemn yourself by receiving Holy Communion in, in an unworthy state. Read Paul's letter to the Corinthians, chapter, was it 10 and 11? Read them carefully. No, we don't receive Holy Communion unworthily because it can become condemnation for us. It's no longer the bread of life. We're now committing sacrilege. We are guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. And what Paul wrote there in the Greek means you're guilty of murdering Christ. So that's sin. That's mortal sin. So, no, we don't want to just, you know, take this Pollyanna thing. Well, God forgives all our sins, so it's okay. I don't No, We, for, we want to overcome sin in our life. We ask God for the grace to do that because God has prepared a place for us in heaven. And yes, he has. The question is, are we going to occupy that place? What is our disposition? Are we receiving his graces in the proper disposition so that his grace is actually helping us to grow in holiness? And by the way, we don't make ourselves holy. We can never earn heaven. Catholics don't believe that you can earn heaven. The Catholic Church has never taught that you can earn heaven. It's not our works that get us into heaven. It's God's grace. It's the blood of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, that he poured out upon us. And I hear that music. That can't be. Are you really serious? This is the end of the first section of this program, and we want to talk today more about the scriptures and being saved. And how are we saved? So stay tuned. Thank you for listening. 
series, Bible with the Barbers, on Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Now, back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle. This is Mary Danielle on this uh, particular Friday, fourth week of Easter, April 30th. Happy birthday to our April 30th birthdays out there. And it happens to be um, Mary Danielle with her guardian angel because Terry and all her scripture commentary here in front of her because Terry Barber is uh, babysitting our grandson. So we're taking, um, say a prayer for our daughter-in-law. She had a lot of dental work done this week and she's in a lot of pain. So please keep her in prayer. Anyway, so we're, we're talking here about John's gospel for today, verses 1 through 6 of chapter 14, which was something he spoke at the Last Supper. And we have here, you know, the apostles aren't really understanding, um, um, and I think I'm hearing the grandson here on the radio, so somehow or other, um, he's getting in the microphone. <laughs> he's done that before. When I, we used to do this um, during the lockdown when I'd do it from home, he, he, would, uh, he would be... Um, speaking from uh, on the phone uh, when I was on the, when I was on doing the radio show he'd be speaking so uh, he just Bo just wants to get his two cents in there he said yeah Jesus is the way the truth and the life so as Bishop Seen said without the way there is no going without the truth there is no no my mic hot rich yes your mic is hot okay, thank you. without the life there is no living so here we are we have Jesus telling his apostles that he's going to prepare a place for them, and he's going to come back. He's going to come back to um, get them and take them where he is. And this is what our Lord came to do. He came to take us to heaven. When Adam and Eve sinned, they separated themselves from God and made it impossible for them to get to heaven. And, and it's interesting, you know, the commentary is it's so important to understand, to really think about what it means that God became man. Jesus is the way to the Father through what he teaches. For by keeping to his teaching, we will reach heaven through faith, which he inspires, because he came to this world so that whoever believes in him might have eternal life. Through his example, since no one, no one, no one can go to the Father without imitating the Son. Through his merits, which make it possible for us to enter our heavenly home. We don't believe that we get to heaven on our merits. We get to heaven on the merits of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And above all, he is the way because he reveals the Father with whom he is one because of his divine nature. So we have this reality that um, God became man. Okay, if he's the way, he is the only path linking heaven to earth. Jesus, the second person of the Blessed Trinity, the word of God became man. He took to himself a human nature. And the name of that human nature was Jesus of Nazareth. And he's called the Christ because he's the anointed one. Jesus Christ, the anointed one. He is the only path linking heaven to earth. There is no other path linking heaven to earth. Okay? He is speaking to all men, but in a special way, he is thinking of people who, like you and me, are determined to take our Christian vocation seriously. He wants God to be forever in our thoughts, on our lips, in everything we do, including our most ordinary and routine actions. Okay? Yes. Everything we do, we can offer to God. What did the angel tell the children at Fatima? Make of everything you do a sacrifice and say, Jesus, it is for love of you. 
in reparation for the sins committed against the Immaculate Heart of Mary and for the conversion of sinners. Why in reparation for sins committed against the Immaculate Heart of Mary? Because when we don't accept and acknowledge the good that God has done, that he made his mother immaculate, that she was conceived without original sin, and she is the mother of God. You don't mother natures, you mother persons, and she's the mother of the second person of the Blessed Trinity. Then when we don't acknowledge those things, we're not acknowledging what God has done. I remember once Jerry Matatex was... Um, was debating a Protestant minister on, on the radio, and I wasn't at, present at the debate. I was listening to it on the radio because it was being broadcast, and this was years ago, back in the 1990s. And, and the Protestant minister said, Oh, Mary, Mary of Nazareth, the mother of Jesus, she wasn't any different than any other human being. She was just a dirty rag that God used and cast aside. And I caught my breath. And because you're not talking, you know, do you hear yourself? Minister, you call yourself a minister of God, but who are you denigrating in that statement? You're saying that we are just dirty rags that God uses and casts aside. Is that what Jesus says here? Do not let your hearts be troubled. You have faith in God, have faith in me. In my Father's house, there are many dwelling places. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to myself so that where I am, you may be. No, if you read the scriptures, we are transformed from within by the grace of God. We're not dunghills covered with snow. We are transformed and, con and transformed into living images of Christ. What does Paul say? I live now, not I, but Jesus Christ lives in me. It, it's not, and it's not us doing it. It's God working in and through us by the power of the Holy Spirit and the merits of our Savior, Jesus Christ, everything that he did in his human nature. And the thing is, God really did become man. So what does that mean? We can reach God the Father by no other route. The divinity could not be contemplated by us in this world below if it were not united to the sacred humanity of the Savior, whose life and death are the most appropriate, sweet, delicious, and profitable subjects which we can choose for our ordinary meditations. So we shouldn't be meditating on, you know, people say they have trouble meditating. Oh, really? When was the last time somebody hurt you or said something that hurt you? You know, it, it, we met, it's, it changed the subject of your meditation. Meditate on the reality that God really became man. And because God became man, we can meditate on the divine. God really took to himself a human nature without ceasing to be God, without ever leaving heaven. The second person of the Blessed Trinity took to himself a human nature so we can contemplate God in Jesus Christ. Because his human nature is fully united to the, to the divinity. And it is divinized. And for all eternity, he remains the God-man. He died on the cross. And the victim who immolated himself on the cross is no longer dying, but lives for all eternity. His act of immolated love. The lamb still bears his scars in heaven. Jesus is the lamb of God. And he still bears his scars in heaven. And so the saints and the doctors of the church meditate on what God has done. And then they write, and it teaches us. And so we can meditate about God, on God because God became man. 
And so the only way to the Father, the only connection between heaven and earth, the only path is God who came down out of heaven to take to himself a human nature and then has gone back up into heaven again. There's only one path to God. And that's Jesus Christ. And we do know we do we know that? Did Jesus say that? Well, Thomas, you know, Jesus is saying all this and Thomas says Jesus says the way where I'm going you know the way. And Thomas is like, "Wait a minute. We don't even know where you're going. How can we know the way?" And that's when Jesus says, "I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life." So he is the way. He's the only way. He came down out of heaven to reunite us to God in heaven, to make the path again that had been broken by sin. And then I am the truth and the life because what? He is divine. He is truly divine. So the second person of the Blessed Trinity comes down out of heaven, takes to himself a human nature, makes one path from heaven to earth and one path from earth to heaven. And, and so Thomas says, we don't even know the way. We don't know where you're going. And Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And then Jesus says, no one comes to the Father except through me. It is only through Jesus Christ that we are saved or can hope to be saved. And that's, that leads me into the, the title of our show today. You know, what is the name by which we are saved? Well, the gospel, not the gospel, excuse me, the reading from the Acts of the Apostles for Sunday of the fourth week of Easter is Peter is talking here, and he, it, this was one of the times I believe he was arrested, but let me read this to you. The reading from Sunday, and it became important because it was commented on and then um, further commented on because some things were said that didn't seem to quite jive with exactly what the church teaches. So Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit, and he says, this is in Acts 4, 8 through 12, leaders of the people and elders, if we are being examined today about a good deed done to a cripple, namely by what means he was saved, then you and all of Jerusalem, all of Israel must know that it was in the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead. In his name, this man stands before you healed. He is the stone rejected by the builders, which has become the cornerstone. There is no salvation through anyone else, nor is there any other name under heaven given to the human race by which we are to be saved. Jesus, 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 the only name by which we are saved. He's the only way to salvation. And so, we need to preach the gospel. If we know Jesus, we need to bring him to others. Now, that, that could be by being kind. Mother Teresa of Calcutta, Bishop Sheen asked her when she first started her work, not first, I don't know, she was in the 19, he met her in an airport one day and he said, Mother, you've personally evangelized 15,000 peoples. What did you say to them? <laughs> and Mother looked at him and said, I didn't say anything. And he's like, well, what did you do? I loved them. I love them. I pick the dying up off the streets and I wash them and clean them and I treat them with tenderness and kindness. And then I ask them a question. Do you know Jesus? Oh, mother, they would answer. Is he anything like you? And mother would say, no, no, no. But I try to be like him. Oh, mother, we want to know Jesus. 
So are we treating one another with kindness? You know, it's like at the CCD Congress when, you know, Protestants who don't understand the Catholic faith, who've been lied to about what the Catholic Church is and what it means, are standing outside the convention center holding signs that, you know, the church is the Horror of Babylon or your Catholics are all going to hell or whatever. And then these Catholic catechists are yelling at these people and getting in arguments with them. Well, there's another approach. Terry Barber, my husband, took. There was a gentleman out there and people were yelling at him and telling him to go away and whatever. And Terry walked up and said, can I ask you a question? And the man said, what? How did you fall in love with Jesus Christ? Well, the man was ecstatic. So he told about his former way of life before he knew Christ and how sinful it was. And he said, Christ saved me from all of this. So I just want people to know Jesus Christ so they can be saved from all of this. And Terry's like, wow, that is so cool. Isn't that awesome what God does? Can I tell you how I fell in love with Jesus Christ? See, that's it. Do we love one another? Or are we just getting into arguments? Because we hear somebody say things and we feel threatened because we don't know the answers. If you don't know the answer, just say, you know what, I don't know the answer. But I'll look up. I'll look for the answer because there's an answer. There's only one way to God. Peter said it here. Jesus Christ. And Jesus said the same thing in the gospel today, didn't he? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He is the way, the truth, and the life. So how can anybody be saved if they're not in the Catholic Church? Oh, and what did Vatican II have to say about this? There's been quite a bit of discussion about that apparently this week among different Catholic uh, podcasts. So we're going to weigh on on that. (laughs) Thank you for tuning in to Bible with the Barbers on this Friday, April 30th. If you want to make a donation, 877-526-2151. Now back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Welcome back to Bible with the Barbers. And this is Mary Danielle. And um, so we're, we're talking here about salvation and how are we saved. And is there only one way? And yes, there is. And the Catholic Church has always taught there is no salvation outside the Catholic Church. But what does that mean in practice? What does that mean? Does that mean you have to be physically baptized Catholic in order to get to heaven? Well, there was a priest, Father Feeney, who got himself excommunicated for teaching that in the United States of America back in the 1940s, I believe. And, um, but we want to look here because the controversy this week uh, with Peter's statement that the only name that's given by which people are saved is the name of Jesus Christ. And so um, we embrace that name. And so the church, in, in the Vatican Council II documents, uh, it's the document on the church, Lumen Gentium, light to the Gentiles, and paragraph 16, but number 16. But also what's interesting is in the whole discussion that I heard this week, nobody mentioned number 17. And I think that without reading number 17 in its entirety, you might misunderstand. Now, if you have to read number 16 in its entirety also to get it, straight, but you also have to read number 17 along with it. Because many people have used this, what's said here in, in number 16 in Lumen Gentium, to say, well, we don't have to evangelize people. It's okay. Everybody's going to heaven. God's going to get them all in there. Well, that's not what the church said in this document. The church never said that, and she never taught that at Vatican II. Okay? And by the way, yes, this is very biblical, and the church gives us the commentary on Scripture because the church is the authentic interpreter of Scripture. What was it the Ethiopian eunuch said to Philip? How can I understand if I don't have someone to tell me what it means? And Christ set up his church. It was the church who gave us the Bible. It was the bishops of the Catholic Church who put Scripture together. And no, 
The Jews did not have a canon of Scripture at the time of our Lord Jesus Christ. They didn't, have, they didn't agree on what was the canon of Scripture. And, and the Protestants at the time of the Reformation throughout what had been always accepted, the Deuterocanonicals, they threw those out. And Martin Luther changed the Book of Romans. And if you listen to that, I believe it's called the Augsburg Dialogues, the debates between the Catholics and Protestant theologians at the time of the Reformation, it's not the Protestant theologians, if you read the, the Augsburg Dialogues, they weren't recorded, I'm sorry. <laughs> it wasn't the Protestant theologians who were quoting scripture, it was the Catholic theologians. And so what do we have here in Lumen Gentium? Well, we, we have, finally, those who have, not yet reached the who have not yet reached the gospel are related to the people of God in various ways. There is first the people to which the covenants promises and promises were made from which Christ was born according to the flesh. And that's a quote from Romans 9, 4, and 5, the Jews. In view of the divine choice, they are a people most dear for the sake of their fathers, for the gift of God are without repentance, Romans eleven twenty nine. And so, yeah, God didn't re reject his people, okay? And we Christians don't repudiate the Jews. We believe we're completed. We've received the fullness of the covenant that God wished to establish. Parts of the old covenant were um, transitional, were um, temporary. Animal sacrifices, circumcision, the dietary laws. But the plan of salvation also includes those who acknowledge the creator. In the first place, amongst them are the Muslims. They profess to hold the faith of Abraham. And together with us, they adore the one merciful God, mankind's judge on the last day. Okay, so they're acknowledging that the Muslims acknowledge the one true God. Okay, and don't, don't lose your mind over this. Now, let's go to the end of this whole paragraph and let's get the whole thing straight. Nor is God remote from those who in shadows and images seek the unknown God, since he gives to all men life and breath and all things, Acts 17, 25 through 28. And since the Savior wills all men to be saved, 1 Timothy 2, 4. Those who through no fault of their own do not know the gospel of Christ or his church, but who nevertheless seek God with a sincere heart and moved by grace, try in their actions to do his will as they know it through the dictates of their conscience, those two can achieve salvation. Well, you know, what is, what is the dictates of their conscience? When we talk about conscience here, we're talking about a well-formed conscience, a conscience that tries, looks at the Ten Commandments and says, yes, I need to follow those because God is God and I am not. And he gave me those commandments as guidelines for life, not shackles to tie me down, but actually the keys to release the shackles of sin because it's sin that ties me down and makes me a slave, not keeping the commandments. So the conscience is, is that inner voice that tells us between right and wrong because what did God say? I will write my law on their hearts. God made every human person that exists. So we have a sense of what's right and wrong. And we can violate that and we can kill our conscience. Okay, and we can have a misformed conscience too. There's a, there's a lot of things there, but okay. So we go on, um, and by the way, they, they, the, um, you know, this, these are, this is heavily footnoted. You want to look at the footnotes and, and look them up. Nor shall divine providence deny the assistance necessary for salvation to those who, without any fault of theirs, who have not arrived at an explicit knowledge of God and who, who 
not without grace, strive to lead a good life. So if they're striving to lead a good life, God is giving them the help to do that. Any good that's done in this world is done by God's help. We don't need the devil's help to do evil. The devil didn't make us do it. No, Flip Wilson, doesn't work that way. Sin. We're inclined to turn away from God. We are inclined to sin because of original sin. So if people do good that's truly good, then it is God who's giving them the help to do that. And we praise him. Remember when the man was trying to work a miracle and the apostles tried to stop him and they came to Jesus, oh, this man was working miracles in your name and we tried to stop him. And what did Jesus say? Why did they try to stop him? They tried to stop him because he's not of our company. And Jesus said, don't stop him. No man can work a miracle in my name and soon speak against me. In other words, the only reason he could work the miracle is because he had the faith in the name of Jesus Christ to be able to work that miracle. And he wasn't of their company, he wasn't one of the twelve, and he wasn't one of the disciples. And yet he, was, he had listened to Jesus and he believed and he went out and did what Jesus was doing. Whoa, yeah, yeah, <laughs> okay? Whatever good or truth is found among them is considered by the church to be a preparation for the gospel. And by the way, that footnote is from, is from Eusebius of Caesarea. And Eusebius was one of the early fathers of the church. And given by him who enlightens all men that they may at length have life. But very often, now this is important. We have to continue to read the paragraph and read the whole thing. But very often, deceived by the evil one, men become vain in their reasoning and have exchanged the truth of God for a lie and served the world rather than the creator. Romans 1, 21 and 25. Or else, living and dying in this world without God, they are exposed to ultimate despair. Hence, to procure the glory of God and the salvation of all of these, the church, mindful of the Lord's command, preach the gospel to every creature, Mark 16, 16. Take zealous care to foster the missions. In Vatican II, the church was not saying that we should stop evangelizing. We have to evangelize everyone. Why? Because, as it says in Romans, we can come to know that God exists without faith. That God exists is not an article of faith. He exists, and the light of our human reason, unaided by faith, can know God is. Why? Because in order for there to be a creation, there had to be an intelligent design behind it. You say, well, there's the Big Bang. There was all this chaos, and out of this chaos came order. No, honey. There's no scientist in this world in his right mind who would acknowledge that out of chaos you're going to get order. Unless you put an intelligent designer behind that chaos who can bring order out of the chaos. God created out of nothing. And he may have created, created chaos at first. I don't know. God's ordered. He doesn't usually do that. But he could have done that and then brought order into the chaos. He could do it any way he wants. I'm not God. But God creates out of nothing. And that God creates and that he is, it, it's, it's a truth known. It's a self-evident truth known to the light of our natural reason. Now, to know who God is in and of himself, we need faith. To know that God became man, we need faith. To know that he established a church, and which church is the true church, we need faith. But faith is a gift. If you want it, ask for it. And by the way, it's a gift that can be lost, just like the muscles, like that, the man that I know whose, whose hand is, is so messed up right now because he had a ganglion cyst and a, and a torn a hole in the cartilage in his wrist, and he hasn't been able to use his hand for months. 
because the doctors were trying to figure out what was going on, and there was a workman's comp thing, and they were the, the, the company that he was working for wanted to say, no, the problem is your ganglion cyst, but the reality is the problem was the torn cartilage, which was caused by the work he was doing. And so th- they've let the, the hand atrophy in the meantime. You know, and, and so now they can't even do surgery on it. The same with our faith. If we don't exercise our faith every day, if we don't pray every day, our faith will atrophy. If we don't deny ourselves something every day in the realm of the material world, if we don't practice mortification, we can lose our hope. If we, and that, you know, one of the problems with the modern world, you know, we want, we want constant titillation, don't we? Entertainment, food, we want to munch all day long. Munchies, munchies, munchies. We have all this junk food, and it is junk food. And it's just what? Pleasing to the palate. It's just pleasing our taste buds, but it's not nourishing our body. You know, even chewing gum. I was thinking about that. Why do we want chewing gum? Because we want our mouth to taste good all the time. Well, wait a minute. We need to deny ourselves something in the realm of this world in order for us to have hope that there's something beyond. We have to give up the things of this world. And that's what the, the saints and the martyrs, they weren't afraid to die because they knew they had eternal life waiting for them. Read the book of Maccabees. And yes, it is scripture. And the mother who lost seven sons in one day. And, and, and or Eleazar, the ancient, the, the old man Eleazar, who they, the, the, you know, his friends are saying, oh, just eat the pork. No, don't even eat the pork. We'll bring meat to the table that you can eat and pretend that you're eating the, the meat that was sacrificed. And he said, no, why? So that, so, that, so that I can have a few years of life on this earth and lose my eternal salvation? No, I'm going to be with the Lord for all eternity. I believe in the resurrection. And I don't want to scandalize the young people because they will follow my example. Are we thinking of others? And that's what the church is saying. Because we have the fullness of the truth, the church says we have to preach the gospel to everyone. Preach the gospel to every creature. You know, whether in season or out of season, whether convenient or inconvenient. So Vatican II didn't do away with the idea of evangelization. Vatican II didn't do away with the scriptures. Vatican II never did away with any of the teachings of the church. Read the documents. We have a little bit more here in Vatican II. To, uh, to uh, illustrate the point that Jesus is the only way. Jesus is the name by which we are saved. And we have some explanation to give. So hopefully we'll get that all in. <laughs> we just have one segment left. Hang in there with us. Thank you for joining us. Now back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Welcome back to Bible with the Barbers. And um, you know, this discussion here, it's important. Christ is the only name. And Vatican II clearly taught that. And, you know, I guess someone quoted on Sunday, they were doing a sermon on this, and, and um, they said that, well, Christ is the fullness of the way. Well, no, Christ is the only way. <laughs> There's no fullness or half fullness. So what do we want to, I want to look at paragraph 17, because in all the discussion that I heard on, online this week, I didn't hear anybody mention number 17 in Lumen Gentium. Because it, it makes it abundantly clear. If, as, if, as if the last sentence in you know, Lumen Gentium 16 wasn't clear enough. Hence, to procure the glory of God and the salvation of all these, the church, mindful of the Lord's command, preach the gospel to every creature, takes zealous care to foster the missions. And then she continues. As he had been sent by the Father, the Son himself sent the apostles, John 20, 21, saying... Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, 
all days, even unto the consummation of the world, Matthew 28, 18 through 20. The church has received this solemn command from Christ, this solemn command of Christ from the apostles. So the church receives the command through the apostles that Christ, got, Christ gave the command and must fulfill it to the ends of the earth, Acts 1, 8. Therefore, she makes the words of the apostle her own. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel, 1 Corinthians 9, 16. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. This is the church making that word, those words her own. And accordingly never ceases to send heralds of the gospel until such time as the infant churches are fully established and can themselves continue the work of evangelization. The work has to continue. For the church is driven by the Holy Spirit to do her part for the full realization of the plan of God who has constituted, who has constituted Christ as the source of salvation for the whole world. The plan of God. This is God's plan. It is God who has constituted Christ as the means of salvation for the whole world. Okay? Christ is the source of salvation for the whole world. Not a partial source. There's no other source. Jesus Christ. He's the only source of salvation for the whole world. We have to evangelize. We need to preach the gospel. By her proclamation of the gospel, she draws her hearers to receive and profess the faith. She prepares them for baptism, snatches them from the slavery of error. Error is slavery. It's not freedom. And she incorporates them into Christ so that in love for him, they grow to full maturity. Each disciple of Christ has the obligation of spreading the faith to the best of his ability. There's no one who gets out of it. We each have to spread the gospel of Christ, okay? To the best of our ability, according to the duties of our state in life. But if any believer can baptize, it is for the priest to complete the building up of the body in the Eucharistic sacrifice, thus fulfilling the words of the prophet. From the rising of the sun, even to the going down, to its going down, my name is great among the Gentiles. And in every place there is a sacrifice and there is offered to my name a clean offering. Malachi 1.11, a prophecy of the Holy Eucharist because the one clean offering, the one perfect offering is Jesus Christ himself offering himself to the Father in the Eucharist. Okay, the sacrifice that he made, himself, made of himself on the cross. First acted out at the Last Supper and then lived out on the cross but the victim who immolated himself is no longer dying. Yet in heaven, he still bears his scars. And he offers for all eternity that act of immolated love. The Lamb of God still bears his scars in heaven. That's why we Catholics still have a crucifix. And also because we're a forgetful people. We forget. Yes, Jesus is risen from the dead. But he still bears his scars. And we are supposed to unite our sufferings with him. And offer our sufferings in union with him. All of our suffering can be offered in union with Christ to help redeem the world. What did Paul say? What did he write under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit? I fill up in my own flesh what is lacking in the sufferings of Christ for the sake of his body, the church. That's scripture. Okay. So, thus the church prays and likewise labors so that into the people of God, the body of the Lord and the temple of the Holy Spirit, the people of God, 
the body of the Lord, the temple of the Holy Spirit, may pass the fullness of the whole world, and that in Christ, the head of all things, all honor and glory may be rendered to the creator, the father of the universe. Jesus Christ is the only way. So does that mean that anyone who's not a baptized Catholic is not going to heaven? The church has never taught that. As a matter of fact, in the early church, there was an old man in the catechumenate, and he died before he was baptized. And his bishop was very concerned, so he wrote to the Bishop of Rome. And the Bishop of Rome wrote back to him and said, Be assured of the old man's salvation. And so the church is always taught, if someone is sincerely seeking the faith, they've entered into the catechumenate, it's their intention, that by that very fact, that it's their intention to be baptized, even if they were to die without physical baptism, the Lord will give them the grace of baptism. It's been called baptism of desire. We also have people who died martyrs in, in the 40 martyrs of Sebast, 40 Roman soldiers who were being... Um, they had been beaten, and then they were going to be frozen to death on a lake in, in Turkey. And they prayed that their number would be complete, that they would represent the 40 days of Christ's fast in the wilderness. And just before dawn, they, the, the soldiers on, on the shore were keeping big cauldrons of water warm with a fire and inviting them, come and come into the warm water. Well, just before dawn, one of the men... Not just in the middle of the night, one of the men capitulated. He just he couldn't take it anymore, and he went to the shore. And of course, going from freezing cold into a, a bath of warm water, it killed him. Unfortunately, so there were thirty nine of them. But they continued to pray. And just before dawn, the angels came to minister them. And the soldiers who were looking on saw it. And one of the soldiers tore his clothes and joined the martyrs. He became he declared himself a Christian. And these men were dying. And they're, they're, they're just, this is just before death. And he died a martyr for the faith. Okay? He was guaranteed salvation. This is what the church has taught. And so, and again, what, what the church is saying in Vatican II, in 16 and 17, is in paragraph 16 in particular, is anyone through whom no fault of their own, if I know that Jesus Christ is the Savior and I refuse him with my will, well, that's, I've refused him with my will. That's where sin is. Sin is in the will. And be careful with people because you don't put people in an emotional box. Remember, oftentimes we react on our emotions and we're not reacting according to our intellect. Our intellect was made to choose the good. So we need to think things through with our intellect and we need to choose with our will, but we need to make sure that our intellect is correctly informed. And what is the example I'm going to give? Father Feeney. Okay, and Father George Rutler told us, you know, the Feeneyites today claim that Father Feeney never, he died with the sacraments of the church without ever having to recant his position, and therefore anyone who is not baptized Catholic must be going to hell. Well, Father Feeney died without having to recant his position because Father Feeney was still in the state of excommunication when he was on his deathbed. And so the priest administering the last rites to him asked him one question, and Father, I don't need any explanations. I just need a yes or a no. Okay. Say yes if you mean yes, no if you mean no. Do you accept the church's teaching on no salvation outside the church? And he said yes. The priest gave him the last rites and he died. No, you don't put him in an emotional box to say, okay, Father, I need you to explain to me what you mean now by that. No. Do you accept the church's teaching? And now we give you the last rites and we commend you to God and you will be judged by God. And God knows what's in your heart. He knows whether you've rejected him or not. 
and that's up between you and him, okay? So we don't know the heart of a man. So don't put people in an emotional position to make a choice about their faith. Be very careful that you don't box someone in an emotional corner and then ask them to make a choice about their faith because the choice they're making is probably not going to be a free choice and it's not being made with their will. But nonetheless, when we make an emotional choice, we might actually let our will align itself with our emotions and make a choice that's a bad choice. We might reject God because we're angry. Well, don't reject God because you're angry. Don't reject God because somebody hurt you. Don't reject God because you've known religious people who act cultish like, or, or use the, the scriptures to beat you over the head or use it as a bludgeon to beat you up and you're going to go to hell if you don't accept this. And No, Jesus Christ came to save. He came to free us from error. He came to free us from the darkness. But the darkness is sin. And something I wasn't able to get to today, and I, I really do hope those of you who have the Catechism in the Catholic Church will go to the back and look up um, Lumen Gentium 16. And there are several paragraphs in the Catechism that explain what Lumen Gentium 16 means. And all of them, by the way, have scripture quotes in them. And they also have several paragraphs that explain what Lumen Gentium 17 mean. And they all have scripture quotes in them. And none of them say that it means the church no longer intends to evangelize. The church intends to evangelize. She intends to preach the gospel to all nations. As she quoted Paul in Vatican II, woe to me if I do not preach it. Whether I preach it willingly or not, I am under a compulsion. We need to teach the truth. People are lost in error. When people are living in sin, when they're living in confusion and degradation, they're not happy. God made us for union with himself. He came down out of heaven to unite his, his, his nature, the divine nature, a, a divine person came and took to himself a human nature. He wants us united to himself. He wants us to live in union with him. And I hope that this show will inspire all of you to read Lumen Gentium, particularly paragraphs 16 and 17, and then read the Catechism of the Catholic Church and how it explains Lumen Gentium 16 and 17 and come to realize that we have an obligation to spread the gospel. But that doesn't mean we have to go out and condemn people and say, well, you're not Catholic, you're going to hell. No, we don't know that. There are people who die for Christ. And the church has always taught that if you shed your blood for Christ, you're going to heaven. And the church has always taught that if you desire baptism and have, have striven to try to know God and to try and come to baptism, if you die before you're baptized, you're not going to hell. Pray for each other. We pray for sinners. We pray for, we're sinners. We're all sinners. We're all in this together. Any one of us could reject God. Padre Peel, after suffering 50 years of the, the stigmata, the wounds of Christ in his own flesh, was terrified that in a moment of weakness he might commit a mortal sin and go to hell. Any one of us could reject Christ at any moment. Beg God for the grace of final perseverance. Pray for those who don't know the fullness of the truth, that they might come to the light and know the fullness of the truth. And yes, the church teaches us we must evangelize, and Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven. And anyone who is saved is saved through the mediation and merits of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and his church. And that's what she means by no salvation outside the church. It is through the mediation and merits of the church, by the merits of Jesus Christ and his mediation, that we are saved. Thank you for joining us on Bible with the Barbers. Hope to talk to you again next week.